But let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You know what it's like to start something new? And you start, there's that excitement that comes with it. Maybe it's been, maybe it's been a job. And you go into this job and your mentality has been, your mentality is something like, uh, you know, this is going to be, everything's going to be great. Everybody's going to love me. Everything is going to, you know, the pay is going to go up. Everything's going to be great in this job. And then you get there and you find out within about a week that the people are just the same as everywhere else because you came and the problem's usually with us. But, you know, there, it's not the magic job. And there, there, are these, there are these letdowns. And maybe you see the same thing happen. You, you, maybe you want to start your own business. And you realize all of a sudden, there's a lot more to this than I was thinking. There's a lot of responsibility. There's a lot of pressure that's on me. But it's the same thing. You're starting something new, and you've got that initial excitement. <coughs> but then it starts, to, it starts to wear off. Maybe that's happened with you with church. Sometimes we get into a new church or we get into a new setting and there's this initial excitement. I've seen this with people who, who, are, who are newly converted even and they come in and there's an excitement about serving God, about getting involved and, and serving His people and, and is being a part of, this, of a community and, and then it can get old and it can get burdensome. And that's usually because of our attitude. Our attitude needs an adjustment, but there's, that, there, there's a burdensome side, the new things that come along. And, and the Bible uses a word to address what's really lacking in our lives. And what's lacking is endurance. We need to be enduring. And that, that carries over to every, every area of our Christian life. There needs to be endurance. And I'm going to say especially especially when it comes to areas of persecution. When persecution starts happening in our lives, we need to endure. And James 1.3 talks about that. Romans 5.3. There's numerous verses that go over this. But the concept being, we must endure. And really, we've all seen this in our lives. Most of us. We have seen in our own personal experience, we've seen in the passage we're going through, obviously, how this, how, how this applies to us, but we've seen how persecution is going to come. It should be expected. Where you and I should be nervous is when we don't see persecution. Because that means we're not doing our job right. We're have, we've got the problem. If you remember, and we're going to go over this in a moment again, and we'll show it, but the, one of the principles that we looked at was we should live our lives in such a way that invites persecution. We should be showing Jesus Christ and proclaiming Jesus Christ in our lives so that other people notice. If we can constantly hide our Christianity, we're failing in our relationship with Christ. We're not living as we should be. So we should live in such a way as to invite persecution. And when it comes to our message, to what we are going to be proclaiming, we should constantly be pointing people to the Gospel. 
We should constantly be pointing people to God's grace and what He can do to change us and to help us. But we know. We know as we do all of this, as we live our lives, and we know the phrases, our job is to go out and make disciples. It's not just make converts, it's make disciples. And as we do our job, we, we already know the way of Jesus, the way of people following Jesus, it's a narrow way. Not many people are going to get on that wagon. Not many people want to follow Him. Most people will be on the broad way. Most people will reject Jesus Christ. Jesus has already told us this is what is going to happen. They're not going to be receptive. And it's not just that they're going to say, eh, not for me. There will be persecution. And we can expect it as we live godly in Christ Jesus. And we should expect it. So that's exactly what has been going on so far in our text. In this passage in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are living godly in Christ Jesus. They are following Jesus and persecution has been coming on them. And we're going to see more of that today. So for now, for those of you who haven't had your this handout, let's go ahead and review and catch you up on where we are with that. And just so you know, I'll give you the points on the front once in a while when I say here's the principle, that's on the back. You can just fill those in and I did not put the principles on the handouts when we did that first one, the first session. One through four will be up here at some point, so you'll have to write quick, but uh, we'll have them up there. So first thing we saw, point one is the arrest of the apostles. The arrest of the apostles. The apostles had just got finished showing all these people, here's your benefits. This is what happens when you follow Jesus. And he emphasized to them that Jesus, who has been resurrected, Jesus, who is still alive, Jesus is still working. Jesus was the source of their blessing, and they needed to follow Him, and that was too much for the Jewish leaders. They couldn't handle this. So that took us to our first point under this, the altercation with the Jews. The altercation with the Jews. The Jews came down on them. The Jews roughed them up. The Jews threatened them. The Jews threw them in jail. And that gave us our first principle. We need to be busy about God's business and invite persecution. I don't know how else to push that one. If our lives are not inviting persecution, we are not living our lives in a Christ-honoring way. We must invite it by being followers, serious-minded followers of Jesus. That's important. I'm not going to re-preach that one. Point B, the Jews were annoyed. And the word we have in verse 2 there in, in Acts 4 was the word grieved. It means annoyed. The, Peter and John had just messed with their religion. Peter and John had opposed their doctrine. They, opposed, they, they got their pride worked up. They threatened their power. They're threatening their money because they're showing people that Judaism was not the way. Jesus is the way. And so they're annoyed. And it took us to point C. Some were attracted. Many the Scripture tells us in verse 4, many, not all, not most, but many of them believed. They became followers of Jesus. And that was our, gave us our second principle. 
was how we respond in persecution can be an influence on others around us. How we respond in persecution can be an influence on others around us. And that same principle carries over to how you respond to your difficulties. How you respond to pressures in your life. If, if my response, when things don't go my way, and I am not comfortable, if my response is to blow my top, if my response is, is to go into a depression, I'm saying, people, everybody that knows me, you watch, it's not about Jesus, it's about me. It's about my comfort, and I'm being a lousy example. Now, do I fall into that? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. My flesh loves to take over. My flesh loves to get its way. It's not an excuse, and it's not, a, it's not a rationale that I can lean on to say, oh, it's just the way I am. No, it's not the way I am. I'm a new creature in Jesus Christ, and I have no excuse to live in the flesh. So I need to respond to my pressures so that others are attracted, not pushed away from the gospel. Second thing we looked at, the attack on the apostles. The attack on the apostles. So this was the day after. They had thrown them in jail. Now they're bringing them back in to their assembly and they're going to continue the attack that they had started the previous afternoon. First thing we saw under this was the actors. Okay, here we have the Sanhedrin. They were involved. That's like your Jewish Supreme Court. These were bigwigs. It is no different than you or I getting drawn, taken in, drawn into the highest court of the land and told, here's the law. We're laying it down for you. That's what was happening to these guys. Other people involved here were the family of Annas. They controlled the high priesthood. It was a corrupt organization. Everything was tied to his family. And the third principle we saw was in this point, as persecution comes, look for opportunities that God opens up through it. God will open up opportunities. He will. Our problem is not, are they, you know, where are the opportunities? Our problem is, you know, let's be bold enough to take those opportunities. And that, that's a challenge for each one of us. Uh, second thing under this one was the arraignment. Seems like these guys love to harass innocent people. These are the same guys that went after Jesus and had him killed. They love attacking innocent people. Uh, the next slide up here is the picture. This, was a, this is a picture of the, the Sanhedrin in their ruling court when he said they set them in the midst. That's what they would have been set in the midst of. Now go ahead and go to that next slide because this has the four principles. If you want to try to write those down really fast, I'll try to talk <laughs> not so slow, but you have, you have to write really fast. So here's the four principles, I think. Yes. Yes. Okay. So principle number four, persecution of followers of Jesus. They're usually not looking for information. They're not just trying to find out what you believe. They are lo they're showing, looking for an excuse so that they can show their hatred for Jesus. Take comfort in that. As people reject your message of Jesus Christ, He's the one they're hating. He's the one that they don't like. You and I seem to be faithful in doing our job, which is proclaiming Jesus. Okay, last week, we looked at point three, the affirmation of Jesus. The affirmation of Jesus. Now, Peter and John aren't like, weren't like we normally are. Our tendency in our culture is when people give kickback to the gospel, when people give kickback to you trying to live the gospel, our tendency is to soften up, let's not make waves. We just want to, we want to keep peace. Usually what that means is we're, we're kind of cowardly and we just don't want anybody giving us any issues. 
Peter and John, they weren't, they weren't worried about this. They were going to be bold. So first thing we see, Peter asserts the truth. Peter asserts the truth. And I'll just go ahead and start. Principle number five was to be successful in persecution, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it tells us very clearly in verse 8, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit of God. And, and really the, the, the point with this is when people are controlled by God's Spirit, something's going to happen. Here's what it is. They're going to talk. They're going to open their mouths in a way that promotes Jesus Christ. So here's how you can look at that. If you and I are not opening our mouths in a way that promotes Jesus Christ and edifies and glorifies Him, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. You're being controlled by you. You're in charge. That's not where you want to be if you're a professing believer. We need to be controlled by God's Spirit. And then Peter said very clearly, he said, let me make this clear. All of you, he's talking to this ruling council. Peter said here, Jesus did it. That's their question. Who did this? By what power, by what authority have you done this? Jesus did it. And he made it really clear who this Jesus is. He, the one that you rejected, the Messiah, the one that you mocked. I mean, Peter was very bold with them. The one that you mocked, the one that you killed, the one that God overrode your decision and raised him from the dead. This Jesus, he alone is responsible for this man's healing. Jesus did it. And I appreciate what Peter's doing here. He gives God all of the glory. He just turns all of the praise. I, I didn't say that quite right. He gave Jesus all of the glory, who is God. See, when, when Jesus gets glory, God is glorified. Because they're one and the same. It, 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 okay, Trinity's a whole other issue, okay? They turned the attention to Jesus. And we applied that for us. Let's do the same thing. Let's keep turning attention to Jesus Christ. That's where you and I need to be. Point B. Peter applies the Old Testament. He's made the point, he's told him the truth, and now he applies an Old Testament passage, which was Psalm 118, to substantiate his claim. To say, here is why I can say this. And this was a good verse for him to use because it showed both the Jewish side of things and God's side of things. It showed the Jewish side in that they set at naught. They despised their Messiah. They hated him. And he made it very clear, this is what you did. And then he shows God's side of it. God, he took this one that you have despised and you hated, and he's glorified this one. He's made him the head of the church. Then we saw the authority of Jesus. <coughs> the authority of Jesus. There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus alone. That's it. If you're looking anywhere else for salvation, you're not going to get it. There is no alternative. There is nothing. You don't tack Jesus on to your life to get salvation. Jesus becomes your life. Jesus becomes your all in all. And if that's not what's going on in your life today, you don't have salvation. Jesus is extremely, extremely exclusive it's him or nothing 
And that's difficult. In this, in, we have an inclusive world today, and Jesus is exclusive. So you're going to see where persecution is going to come. It's natural. And that led us to principle number six. When we're being persecuted for our faith, don't forget the answer is in the preaching of the resurrected Jesus. The world calls that foolishness. This is the power of God. The resurrected Jesus is what we need as we are being persecuted for proclaiming our faith. So that was the authority of Jesus. And that brings us to our text for today. Today's text is going to show us more of how you and I should respond. What our responses should be to those who desire to silence us. Now, let's just start with this, though. There should be a desire. You've got to give people something to desire to silence. If you're content with keeping your mouth shut and not making a stand in some way for Jesus Christ, you're not going to get any persecution. Your life's going to be comfy. But i tell you what, if you're a believer, you're going to be one miserable person because you're not following Jesus. You're not obeying Jesus. You're not doing what Jesus has, com- has commanded and committed to your care, which is making disciples, following Him. And keep in mind, today, I can't say that. In our culture today, the persecution is not so much physical. In most of the world, it is physical. You pay dearly. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, you pay dearly for this. In our culture, our our persecution, our form is usually more verbal. It can be emotional. There's that, uh, you know, I'll be be an outcast. I can't handle not being accepted and not having my self-esteem and, you know, that, it's a personal thing. It's an, it's an attack that's not physical. But that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at our new text. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you love us. Lord, you are a gracious God. Thank you, Lord, for, for being long-suffering with each one of us in this room. Lord, I, I, I praise you for the work you're doing, for the work you've done in us. And Lord, I ask that you would do a work this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take your word and use it in meaningful ways in each hearer today. I ask for your help as I preach it. Please keep me from error. Lord, help my words to be accurate. Help me not to be a distraction to the message you desire to have delivered. But above all, God, please glorify yourself in some way by our efforts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Acts chapter 4, verse number 13, the amazement of the Jews. The amazement of the Jews. And what's sad, as we go through these verses... What's sad about this account is that these Jewish leaders had not been amazed. They had not been amazed earlier when they saw the healing of this man that has been lame for 40 years. That wasn't their amazement. That's not where their attention was. 
They were not amazed when Peter and John, when they proclaimed Jesus Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, that didn't amaze them. This was like, okay, we've got another hurdle we've got to jump over, but there's not this amazement. Had they responded to the truth that Peter and John were preaching, had they responded to the miracle of this lame man, we might have a totally different story going through the book of Acts. But they were not amazed at the truth. They were amazed at what was threatening them. What they needed to do is the same thing you and I needed to do. They needed to take the Word of God at face value. And they needed to let this book direct their decisions. The Jews weren't willing to do that. And unfortunately, many Christians aren't willing to do that same thing. So let's look first of all at the disciples are admired. The disciples are admired. And I use the word admired because that's the part of the definition of one of the words we're going to see here, marveled. So verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, there's our word, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing by them, they could say nothing against it. So they... They're marveling, they're amazed at what they've seen, but what caused them to have this marveling? We're told here, they saw boldness. They observed them, and that word boldness literally telling it all. They observed these men being outspoken. They observed these men having great confidence, but that wasn't what Marvel made them marvel. What made them marvel was that they understood that these men were unlearned and ignorant. Now these words, unlearned, ignorant, has nothing to do with their mental ability. It has nothing to do with they were, they were slow. Jesus was accused of being an unlearned man back in John chapter 7. They said Jesus was this same way. That word unlearned means it's literally unlettered. The, the word means to have, he didn't have a degree. He had not gone through their technical training. He hadn't gone to the rabbi schools. He didn't go to seminary. So he did not have their authority to do the things and to teach things like they were doing. So they were unlearned. It also said they were ignorant. And our text today is we would say somebody's ignorant either as as an insult or they're just unknowing. This word ignorant, the idea of it is private. They're private. Now that sounded weird when I first read it. The idea they haven't gotten out in the public area and learned things. This would be like where you have the common man and a person of rank. See, back then there was that definite caste system. There was the haves and the have-nots. They would have been the, the layman, the uninformed versus these politicians. Now, in our culture, we might look at it as laity clergy. There's no accuracy in this. There's none. There is no laity clergy distinction. There was a system here where these people were seen as subpar. They were not up at our level where we should listen to them. So that's that's what he's talking about. It says they took knowledge. They began to recognize that they had been with Jesus. They had been 
with Jesus. Their confidence that they had. That was just like Jesus' confidence that He had preached to them. Their conviction was just like Jesus. The message that they're preaching, this sounds just like Jesus. Their attitude was a lot like Jesus. The character they're showing, it was just like Jesus. They could see similarities between Peter and John and this upstart rabbi that they had had put to death. They could see the similarities. What better compliment could these men have received? They looked like their Lord. They were looking like Jesus. Isn't that what we need to do? How often do people see Jesus in you and me? Principle number seven on the back. Success comes as we are imitating Jesus. You want to be successful in your Christian walk? People don't need to see you if you want to be successful. They need to see Jesus. How much? Are, how are we doing with this? And on top of that, you've got this lame man. He's right there with them. And I like the words he uses here. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them. We can take that literally. We can take it figuratively. Both are true. He was literally able now to stand beside these two apostles. He was standing right there beside them, but I would suggest to you that He was probably standing with them figuratively as well. He was there taking His stand. He was there being with them. And those leaders, the Jewish leaders, they know Him, right? Remember that man had been sitting outside the gate, beautiful, for 40 years. And it says every day, this guy is a living proof that the miracle happened. The miracle is real. And the wording they used, they saw him standing there. They could say nothing against it. What could they say? They're speechless. And the tense of that word, it sounds like they were trying. They were trying to come up with something to say. What can we say? Anything. Find something where we can blast this guy. Where we can shut him up. We've got to find something. That's the tense they're looking at. They're trying. See, whenever a work of God has been done, whenever something has happened in our lives, just like this lame man, we should strive to be loyal to Him. This is like common, this is just, if nothing else, common courtesy. Gratitude for what our Lord has done for us. How much more should we be submitting to Him? How much more should you and I be trying to glorify Him with our lives like this lame man's doing? The key to being successful the key to having a successful witness. I mean, you've got to be convinced of the truth you're proclaiming. You've got to agree with this book. That, you know, this is the truth. You've got to be convinced. And if you're not convinced of the truth of this book, then you need to be saved. That's the first step. You've got to be convinced of the truth. But once that happens, once you're convinced of this truth, you gotta, you got to get to know your Lord. You need to be getting to love your Lord. 
You need to get to be getting to know this book, loving this book, being devoted to both the Lord, His Word. You need to be rehearsing His goodness in your life. Let me tell you, if you're not intentionally rehearsing the goodness of God, you're not going to remember it. You're not going to be... You've got to intentionally call to mind His goodness and think on these things. That's going to help you fall in love with Him over and over again. We need that. We need that continual renewal. And after that, no, not after, during that process, because this just goes on all of our lives. During that time, you and I, we just need to be willing. We need to be willing to be used by God. God, whatever. you know, Use me. In whatever state I'm in, just use me. Help me to be faithful to You. And listen to me. He will give you opportunities. They're there. God has not finished working in this world yet. As we're faithful to Him, I guarantee you, opportunities will come. It was just like last week. Remember we talked about Peter and John. They were, they, they were before the, the, these religious leaders. And it's not like they got a fastball that they needed to swing at. They just threw them this softball to take an easy swing. And Peter took it. And we get tons of soft pitches that we just got to swing at. We need to go through these open doors that God gives us. And God doesn't need He doesn't need you to go get some great training. He doesn't need and and I'm I'm gonna be careful with that. It's not like He needs something more in our tool belts. God delights to use weak things. That's how He uses us. And He uses us weak things to confound the mighty. It's confusing to uh, to the unsaved. But He delights in using weak vessels. Now that being said, I'm I'm all for you getting training. I'm all for teaching more and more. I'm for you having tools in your tool belt so that you can be a, a, a better witness, so that you can you can just do a better job. You can be more confident. I'm all for that. But at the end of the day, God's the one that does the changing in people's lives, not us. It's not our training. It's not our abilities. And my opinion, I think most of the time, God works in spite of us because we just blow it so often. And we just we, we we get tongue tied, we stutter, you know, whatever it is we do. But God uses us weak vessels to somehow point people to His Son. What He wants from us is be, be available. Just be available. Walk through the door. Take the opportunity, and let's just you and me be content serving our God where He's placed us. That's what we're supposed to do. And as we do that, remember. We serve a God who, and we proclaim Him who has been put to death and raised from the dead. We have nothing to hang our heads about. We've got total power on our side. Let's be confident. Let's use this. Point B, the assembly of the Jews. The assembly of the Jews. Verse 15 and 16. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? 
For then indeed, a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all, to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So as we do what the disciples are doing, as we proclaim Christ, as we exercise this Christ-like attitude that should be a part of our lives, just like here, the world's not going to know what to do with you. The world's not going to know how, to, how do we handle this. What do we do with these people? And it says here, they, uh, verse 15, they conferred among themselves. They were talking about it over and over and over. You remember that picture of those 71 people in that semicircle? Just imagine that picture. 71 men yakking over and over and over. What are we going to do about this? What I see happening in that crowd is just total chaos. How are we going to fix this problem? We thought we had fixed this problem about two months ago when we killed Jesus. We thought we fixed it permanently. And now we've got these people. So in a sense, you, got, you know, what's the phrase? Uh, they were between a rock and a hard place. They have no idea how are we supposed to handle this. How are we supposed to deal with, with, with this, this upstart group? So verse 16, that's what they're saying. What are we, we going to do? They're upset. Jesus, the one they killed, is being preached as the Messiah. And they don't want that because He's upsetting their little apple cart. So what we have here is they're wanting desperately to stop this movement. Stop it from spreading. Stop people from following these men. And it's really tough because, in verse 16, this miracle happened. We can't deny that this happened. So what are they doing? It says they're debating. I'm, I'm using my imagination when I say this, but I'm assuming they threw out a lot of possibilities. What can we do to make this stop? Well, we could put these two men, Peter and John, let's put them in prison. They didn't do that. One day they will. We could kill them, just like we did Jesus. They didn't do that. And one day they will. We could scourge them, just like we did Jesus. And one day they're going to do that too. These people, they're coming up with all these ideas. Somebody along the line had to come up with this idea, well, let's just, you know, we're the bigwigs. Let's just tell them to quit. Let's just tell them that they need to stop. Whatever they came up with, here's all these ideas. We've got to act. We've got to do something to stop these men because this miracle has happened. We can't deny it. We'd love to deny it. We'd love to say, this is this never happened, but we cannot, we absolutely are not able to deny that this has happened. So we've got to do something to stop this. Do you realize that ever since then, I mean, this, this real, Jesus was obviously the start of it, but people have been trying to destroy Christianity for the last 2,000 years. It hasn't stopped. This persecution has never stopped. And listen, it's never worked. They have not, when persecution ramps up, do you realize that the church actually increases? I mean, China, perfect example of that. Stamp out Christianity and the underground church took off. So what happens in our country? We get freedom of Christianity. 
People don't want it. Persecution has benefits. Persecution. I mean, we, 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 we seen this earlier, but persecution is what weeds out the wheat from the tares. Persecution is what weeds out the, the sheep and the goats. The people who are the real deals, when persecution comes, they stick by the, they stick by the gospel. Those who are the false, those who aren't really Christians at all, they you know, attack Jesus on, they leave. Persecution is actually good for the church. Persecution purifies the church. You and I, let's not wait for persecution to come to get busy serving Him. Let's get busy now. Let's be faithful in serving our God now without the persecution. And let's do it because we love Him. Let's do it out of gratitude for what He's done for us. I mean, think of what He's done for you. If you're sitting here today and you're going to tell me, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a born-again believer. I am a follower of Jesus. You should be the most grateful person on this planet. He's done everything for you. He has allowed you and I to be in His family. He's forgiven us for a sin debt that we can't do anything about. And he, he, he wrote it off because of faith in what His Son did for us. We owe Him everything. So, so what did these Jewish leaders do? Point C. The attempt to silence the apostles. Verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them. Let's immediately threaten these guys. That they speak, and that speak publicly, henceforth to no man in this name. So the, remember we were talking about the high court. They are passing the law. They're, put, they're, they're, they're putting the gavel down, and they're going to say, look people, this is illegal. You can't do this. You've got to obey your government authorities because we're saying it. It is illegal for you to preach Jesus. So the words they use here, but that it, the gospel, so that the gospel doesn't spread any further among these people than it's already spread. And maybe if it doesn't spread or die out, that's what they're hoping for, let's threaten them. Let's take legal action that if they speak publicly, in, and I love, I love the fact, in verse 17, they speak to no man in this name. They can't even bring themselves to say, Jesus. You know, that, that hasn't changed. You go into an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood today, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus, and they don't want to say the name of Jesus. They despise the name of Jesus. It's not religion they despise. It's Jesus they despise. That's still happening. It's the same with a lot of other religions. They, they don't like Jesus. That's the problem they've got. Verse 18. And they called them, the disciples, and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. So they did it. They did what they said they were going to do. They gave them this command, and that, that's a military term. It's an expected obedience. You will do this. This is not an optional thing. You're going to do this. Don't mention His name. Don't teach about Him. Don't be preaching Him. And remember that area they're in, setting them in the midst of that semicircle. This is intimidating. They're coming down on the apostles. They want it stopped, and they have the power and the authority to make it stop. 
And that's what they're flexing here, is their power. So, point five. The answer of the apostles. I love their answer. I love how they, how they do this. And, and people, so many people, so many people have followed their lead down through the centuries. This has been an example, and, and we need to follow this example. But here's what's sad. As people followed this example that we're about to look at, they paid for it with their lives. Are we willing to do this? Are we willing to follow the, follow the example of these apostles and pay for it? You may not die for it. Are you willing to pay for it with your wallet? Maybe not getting a job? Are you willing to pay for it with your popularity? We need to be willing to pay for it just like these guys did. Now others, on the flip side of that, some have not followed that example and they've saved their lives. That's not the side you want to be on. You want to be faithful to Jesus. We save our lives by denying Jesus. Your life's not worth that. So let's look at this response. Point A, the appeal to God's desire. First word of that verse is important, but. But, okay, it's a contrast word. He's saying, okay, here's what these Jewish leaders did. Here's their demands. Here's the demands of the ungodly. You stop teaching Jesus. But, that ver- and now we've got the desire of the godly people. Okay, here's what they did. But, that, uh, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. You judge it. They're talking to the court. And they're telling him, you judge this. Is it right in the sight of of God. Should we listen to you or should we listen to God? You judge it. You tell us. Give us the answer. Tell us what we're supposed to do. You judge. Now in the next chapter we know there's a parallel verse to this and this is the one that most people know. Chapter 5 that's where we have the verse we ought to obey God rather than man. That's what they're asserting here. And people here, this is good for us today. This is real good for us today. God's desires. What God expects. God's commands. What God wants in our lives should take priority over everything. Nothing should come before what God desires. His priori- he should be our priority. We should listen to Him and His principles and what He desires more. That that should be more of a desire for us than our desire for our comfort. It should be more important than our desire for pleasure, than our desire for profit. Is it? Is what God wants the key for you? Is that the most important thing in your life? If it's not, you've got to ask, what is it that's driving me? And that's what you need to confess as sin to God because that's become your Lord. And you can't serve two. You're going to hate the one, despise the other, cling to the one. You you can't serve two masters. God desires absolute authority in your life. He wants you to follow Him, period. It's not tack on to your life. You judge. You judge where you're at today. What is it that's that's driving you? 
which one are we supposed to listen to? You people telling us to do wrong are our Lord. And we know the answer. We know what we're supposed to do. But we need to be just like Peter and John. We need to die to self. And we need to follow Jesus. Let him have the priority. Second thing, assume obedience. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Literally, the words here are, we are absolutely not able not to speak. Now, that sounds weird because it's a double negative. In English, we don't do that. I mean, two negatives make a positive, and you, it, it gets confusing. But in, in the Greek side, what it does, it intensifies it. When you have two negatives, it's a big negative. It's a, it's a huge deal. And they're saying here, look, we experience Jesus. We walked with Him. We heard His teaching. We watched all of these miracles. We've seen all of this. And we're witnesses. We're witnesses of what He did, and therefore we have to bear witness. Because He told us to. We know Acts 1.8, right? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses. They are to be witnesses. And we've got to do it in Jerusalem. And then we're going to have to do it in Judea. We're going to broaden out. Then we're going to do it in Samaria. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth. People, if we can't do this in Jerusalem, what, what possibility are they going to have of going to Judea? They could, if they can't handle it right where they are, they're going to have a hard time being faithful going any further. Do you see where that is for us? If we're not going to be faithful in little things, how are we going to be faithful in big things? If we can't be faithful just to open our mouths and say, you know, can I just give you the Gospel? Can I just tell you about my relationship with Jesus? If we can't be faithful with something little, like standing up for what's right, just in our little circle of influence, how can we be expected to do something bigger? We can't. And these men are being faithful. And that, that takes us to principle number eight. Put God's directives ahead of our personal comfort. Be obedient at all costs. I know this can be hard. When the situation hits you and it, it, something gets thrown in your face and you know, if I, if I take a stand, this is going to cost. We know it. We know when we're going to get kicked back. We know when it's going to be difficult. Obey. Just do the right thing and let God take care of the results. And if those results are uncomfortable for you, listen, you obeyed God. That's worth it. Follow Him. Obey at all cost. Isn't maybe maybe I'm just seeing this weird, but you know what? This, this is what I see in our country today. This is what I see in our churches today. Everything's subjective. I don't feel like obeying today. I'm not going to obey today. I don't feel like being faithful today. I won't be faithful today. I'll pick it up next week. No, you obey. Just do what God expects. And follow Him. That's what He wants out of our lives. And he, as you and I, going back to the beginning of this chapter, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we're controlled by Him, as He is directing our lives, we will be following Him. We will be obedient to Him. 
just like Peter and John are doing in this passage. That was the apostles' answer to their persecutors. I like their answer. Can I, let me just encourage you with this. Let's make that our commitment today. Let's make it our commitment to answer this same, we, same way. We cannot help speak the things we've seen and heard. We've got to talk about it. We've got to share Jesus Christ with other people. Let's make that our commitment. Point number six, the arrogance of the Jews. The arrogance of the Jews. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, so here they've got the truth and they just keep on threatening, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done for the man was about 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. So it doesn't sound like, I mean, the challenge was, you judge. You judge. Inform us. Let us know where we're messing up. We've got to obey God. It doesn't sound like they ever answered that challenge to judge whether they should obey them or obey God. They blew it off. How can they answer it? I mean, the apostles were right. And instead of that, so when they had further threatened them, they threatened them more. You ever use the phrase, you know, somebody flex their muscles? They want to show how you know, they're in charge. They're the ones who are going to give the orders around here. That's what they're doing. They're flexing their muscles. They're showing who is in control. And all they're trying to do is instill fear. Okay, that type of fear is of the devil. There is nothing godly about the kind of fear that they're instilling here. This is what they're saying. If I obey God, then this might happen. That's not of God. Okay? God expects us to obey. He expects us to obey Him and leave the results to Him. That's the kind of fear these, these false teachers are throwing around. They threaten them more, and then they could do nothing but let them go. Why? Why did they let them go? Well, first thing we're told here is they couldn't find anything they did wrong. They couldn't find any fault with them. And that's not going to stop them for long, because pretty soon they're, going to, they're, going to, they're still not going to have fault, but they're going to go and they're going to persecute and they're going to kill, and it's going to get really ugly for them. It didn't stop them with Jesus, and it's not going to stop them with the apostles. But for now, that was one of the minor reasons. But the second thing, because of the people. They feared the people. Peter and John had preached Jesus. That was their message. It was all about Jesus. And Peter did a really good job of turning the praise to Jesus. And again, it's interesting, when they preach Jesus, God's glorified. We need that. It sounds like it was good preaching. Verse 22 gives one more reason. This miracle, that it, this man that the miracle happened on was forty was about forty years old. The miracle was real. The miracle could not be denied. People listen. When God does a miracle in our lives, when he converts a lost soul, when he takes the old man and makes him a new man, when he takes someone from death and puts them into life, when you get your heart changed and your life will follow when that happens, a change of life can't be denied. See, the problem that 
we have in American Christianity is we have people who have this idea that, well, I can just make a decision to trust Jesus, but I don't. that doesn't have to affect my life. Yes, it does. Jesus made it really clear, I think it's Luke 14, you better count the cost. Coming to Jesus is not... It, it, we, I hear this phrase, and we've heard this probably for a century, it's a free gift. Well, yes and no. You don't have to work to earn it, but I'll tell you what, it's going to cost you absolutely everything. Jesus wants your life. He wants you to die to self and follow Him. It's all about Him. It's not about us. You and I need to be showing the result of a miracle that's happened in our lives. Even though these apostles, they did right. They took a stand. They did what was right. They were faithful. And I've heard that happen with people today. They're being faithful and something bad happens and the first words I hear out of their mouth is, why me? Why not you? You know what? We live in a sin-cursed world. Bad stuff's going to come. We need to be faithful right through it. We need to keep serving God. Here, they did what was right, and persecution came. It was an ugly thing. Just like it was with Jesus. And that's the example we have. Let's not, let's not think it's strange. First Peter, I believe. Let's not think it's strange when that comes. What, what, we, what we should be questioning is when it doesn't come. Why isn't persecution coming my way? Am I living godly in Christ Jesus? When I live godly in Christ Jesus, persecution will come. It's going to happen. In some form or another, it will happen. And that's a valid question we need to ask ourselves daily. Am I living in such a way, the first principle, I think the first, that invites persecution? That should be my manner of life. Now, you may admire these apostles today. The Jewish leaders, they admired them. There were some good things happening. You can see that they were strong. They were bold, etc. But they were admired by unsaved people. You may admire him. That doesn't make any difference in your spiritual life. If all it is is you're saying, yeah, these guys are really bold. That's not what you're supposed to be admiring. We need to admire the Lord that they are proclaiming. We need to follow Him. The leaders should have joined them. That's what they should have done. The leaders should have seen the truth. But, Christian, let's just look at us real quick. Peter and John have given us a good example to follow. Are you willing to follow it? Are you willing to stand up for Jesus Christ? no matter what it may cost, that's what He demands. He demands your all. And people, we, we can't give Him any less. Let's stand for a moment. If you're here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus, that's your greatest need. You need to follow Jesus. You need forgiveness. Because we've got a sin problem. He is your only hope that you have to make peace with God and receive salvation. It's all about Jesus. And I would love nothing more than to help you today. 
If you have questions about it, you can come forward during the invitation, see me in the back, whatever, whatever you need to do, but don't leave here without making peace with God. Christian, Peter and John were both filled with the Holy Spirit. They were bold in their witnessing. They were committed to being obedient to whatever it was that Jesus said. They were committed. You and I have the same Holy Spirit. There is no difference. We have the same Spirit of God helping us. So you and I are without excuse. We are expected to obey Him just like they were. They had nothing special over us. I encourage you, do business with God where there's areas that you're holding back on Him or things that are, that are you're just not being faithful. You do business with God today. Thank you.